0: You are listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year, I'm reading the Mystical City of God, a four-volume, over 2,500 pages of mystical revelations received by the Venerable Maria of Agrita. We continue our reading today on Day 15 from Chapter 8 of Book 1, Volume 1, Paragraphs 99 to 105. The crown of twelve stars are evidently all the virtues— with which that queen of heaven and earth was to be adorned. But the mystery of its being composed of twelve stars has reference to the twelve tribes of Israel, by which all the elect and the predestined are designated, as is mentioned in the seventh chapter of the Apocalypse by the Evangelist. And since the gifts, graces, and virtues of all the elect were to crown their queen in a most eminent and exalted degree, a crown of twelve stars was placed around her head and being with child in the presence of all the angels for the rejoicing of the good and for the punishment of the evil ones who resisted the divine will in the fulfillment of these mysteries. It became manifest that the three persons of the blessed Trinity had selected this wonderful woman as the mother of the only begotten of the Father, and since the dignity of the mother of the word was the principal beginning and the foundation of all, the great excellences of this great mistress, and of this her symbol, She was shown to the angels as being the resting place of the Holy Trinity, represented in the divine personality of the Word Incarnate. From the account of their inseparable union and coexistence, all the three persons could not fail to be there. Wherever any one of them was present, although only the person of the Word assumed flesh, and with him alone was she pregnant. She cried, travailing in birth, Although the dignity of this queen and of the mystery was to be hidden in the beginning in order that God might be born humble, poor, and unknown, yet afterwards the news of that birth was proclaimed so loudly that its first echo excited King Herod and filled him with uneasiness. It drew the magi from their palaces and kingdoms in order to find him. Matthew 2, 3. Some hearts were touched with fear. Others moved to inferior affection. The fruit of this birth was growing until it was raised on the cross, gave such loud voices that it was heard from the rising of the setting sun, John 12.32, and from the farthest north to farthest south, Romans 10.18. So far then was heard the voice of the woman who gave birth to the word of the Eternal Father, and was in pain to be delivered. He does not say this because she was to give birth in bodily pain, for that is not possible in this divine parturition, but because it was to be a great sorrow for the mother to see the divine infant come forth from the secrecy of her virginal womb, in order to suffer and die as a victim for the satisfaction of the sins of the world. For this queen could know and did know all this beforehand by her knowledge of the holy scriptures. An account of the natural love of such a mother for such a son, she must be deeply afflicted thereby, although in subjection to the will of God." In this pain was also foreshadowed the sorrow of this most gentle mother at the thought of being deprived of the presence of her treasure after he should have issued from her virginal womb. For although her soul always enjoyed his presence as to his divinity, yet she was to be a long time without his bodily presence, according to which she was exclusively her son. The Mosai had determined to exempt her from guilt, but not from the labors and sorrows corresponding to the reward which was prepared for her. Thus the sorrows of this birth were not the effect of sin, as they are in the descendants of Eve, but they were the effect of the intense and perfect love of the Most Holy Mother of her Divine Son. All these mysteries were motives of praise and admiration for the good angels, and the beginning of punishment for the bad angels. And there was seen another sign in heaven, And behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and on his head were seven diadems, and his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven, and cast them to the earth. Thereupon followed the punishment of Lucifer with his allies, for after uttering his blasphemies against the woman, who had been symbolized in the heavenly sign, he found himself visibly and exteriorly transformed from a most beautiful angel into a fierce and most horrid dragon, He reared with fury his seven heads. That is, he led on the seven legions or squadrons of all those that followed and fell with him. To each principality or congregation of these followers he gave a head, commanding them to sin on their own account and undertake the leadership in the seven mortal sins, which are commonly called capital. For in these are contained the other sins, and they constitute, as it were, the regiments that rise up against God. They are the sins called pride, envy, avarice, anger, luxury, intemperance, and sloth. They are the seven diadems, with which Lucifer, after being changed into a dragon, was crowned. This is the punishment, with which he was visited by the Most High, and which he acquired as a return for his horrible wickedness for himself and for his confederate angels. To all of them were apportioned the punishment and the pains, which correspond to their malice the share which they had in originating the seven capital sins. The ten horns were the triumphs of the iniquity, and malice of the dragon, and the vain and arrogant glorification and exaltation which he attributed to himself in the execution of his wickedness. In his depraved desire of attaining the object of his arrogance, he offered to the unhappy angels his malicious and poisonous friendship, and his counterfeit principalities, commanderships, and rewards. These promises, full of bestial ignorance and error, were the tale with which the dragon drew after him, the third part of the stars of heaven. These angels were the stars, and if they would have persevered, they would have shone with the rest of the angels and the just, like the sun through the perpetual eternities. Daniel 12.3 But the punishment which they merited drew them down to the earth, and their unhappiness into its very center, which is hell, where they will, for all eternity, be deprived of light and happiness." Jude 6, and the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to be delivered, that when she should be delivered, he might devour her son. The pride of Lucifer was so boundless that he pretended to place his throne on high, and with the utmost boasting, he spoke in presence of the woman, symbolizing the heavenly sign. The son, which that woman is to bring forth, is of lower nature than mine. I shall devour him and destroy him. I shall lead on my followers against him. I shall spread my doctrines against his decrees and against his laws which he shall set up. I shall wage perpetual war and contradiction against him. But the answer of the Most High Lord was that this woman was to bring forth a man-child is to reign over the nations with an iron rod. This man, the Lord added, shall not be only the son of that woman, but he shall also be my son, true God and true man, gifted with power to overcome thy pride and crush thy head. He will be to thee and to all those who hear and follow thee a powerful judge, who shall rule thee with a rod of iron and bring to naught all thy vain and aspiring thoughts. This son shall be taken up to my throne, where he shall be seated at my right hand as judge. I will place his enemies for a footstool beneath his feet in order to triumph over them. Psalm 2, nine. He will be rewarded as the just man, who, being at the same time true God, has done so much for his creatures. All shall know him and shall give him reverence and honor. Psalm 109.1 But thou, as the most unhappy, shalt know what is the day of the wrath of the all-powerful. This woman, too, shall be placed in solitude, where she will have a place assigned by me. Apocalypse twelve six This solitude to which the woman fled is the position which our great queen holds as being only and alone, unsurpassed in sanctity and exempt from all sin, for she, being of the same nature as mortals, far excelled all the angels in grace, merits, and gifts attained in common with them. Thus she was the only one, and without a compeer among creatures, fled and was placed in a solitude exalted above all the rest. This solitude was so far removed from all sin that the dragon could not even attain sight of it, nor could he from the time of her conception discern anything of her. The Mosai placed her alone, as the only one in the world who never had intercourse with and never was in subordination to the serpent. On the contrary, with solemn promise and assurance, he affirmed and decreed, This woman, from the first instant of her existence, shall be my only one, chosen for myself." I exempt her even now from the jurisdiction of her enemies, and I will assign to her a position of grace most eminent and incomparable, in order that there she may be nourished one thousand two hundred and sixty days. Apocalypse 12.6. The number of days the queen was to remain in an interior and spiritual state of most exalted and extraordinary graces, which were to be more memorable and wonderful. This happened in the last years of her life, as with the help of God I will relate in its place. In that state, she was nourished in such a divine manner that our understanding will never be able to grasp it. And because these graces were in a certain measure, the end toward which others of the life of the Queen of Heaven were ordained, and as it were, their culmination, the evangelist makes a special mention of them. This concludes our reading today Day 15, in which we read from Book 1, Chapter 8, Paragraphs 99-105. to A few things for us to draw out from our reading today. We hear in the Book of Revelation about the crown of stars that adorned the head of the woman of Revelation 12. And... Maria of Agurda rightly points out that those are the virtues, and so there is a devotion to the 12 virtues of Mary, for example, and many of the saints have reflected upon that crown as being of virtues. An interesting aspect of Revelation 12, and Maria of Agreda addresses it, is the idea, and was in pain to be delivered. Because in our Catholic tradition, we wonder how Jesus was born. And this is often the great critique of some of the depictions of the nativity of Jesus that are done in theatrical performances that Mary is often depicted as bringing pain, uh, in pain, bringing Christ to birth. And so how do we understand it? In Genesis, it says that the consequent of original sin is that a greater multiplication of pain in childbirth Thomas Aquinas taught that that meant that Mary was exempt from pain. The fathers addressed it and they said, well, Mary brings forth Jesus from the womb, just like Jesus passes through the locked door of the resurrection when he goes into the upper room in the midst of the apostles. So we grapple with this. And again, it's interesting that Maria Vagrata is really looking at this really from the birth of Jesus perspective and applying it really to his nativity. Whereas some have looked at Revelation 12 and the woman being in labor pains as being the pains of birthing at the foot of the cross, that is, Christ suffered, that Mary suffered with Christ. And so, in a sense, as he is birthed into eternal life well, that she suffers and gives birth in that moment through her own labor pains at the cross as she stood there faithful to the very end. Also, too, I thought it was interesting. Paragraph 105, And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to be delivered, that when she should be delivered, he might devour her son. And so if we continue with the idea of reading the nativity passage here, she doesn't reflect on this, but this was my own musing, my own thought as I read it. I thought, well, couldn't this be the fact that Herod has all of these children slaughtered? Couldn't Herod be an instrument of the evil one? And so they're looking to devour the Christ child. And and so all these other children, the holy innocents, as we call them in the tradition, that they are are... Sadly, their lives are being taken, but Christ flees into Egypt and flees into the desert. So go to that next passage that she flees into the desert. Well, couldn't we read the flee into Egypt? Again, Maria of doesn't suggest this, and we're going to read about the flight into Egypt and in future readings, many, many uh, recordings and days from now. But again, that's something that if we're looking at Revelation 12 from the motif of the nativity of Jesus— well, why can't we consider that, that she's led into the desert? We know from the gospels that it was to fulfill the prophecy that out of Egypt, I've led my son. The day's reading concludes, I exempt her even now from the jurisdiction of her enemies. I will assign to her a position of grace, most eminent and incomparable. We know that she has that role, especially as the queen of heaven. She has that role as our spiritual mother. And so let us go to our spiritual mother today and ask her to pray for us that we might be protected from all evil. I'm Father Edward Looney, and I'm reading The Mystical City of God in a year. I thank you for joining me today. I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. May God bless you today, and may Mary pray for you.